0: I am not a square. I think we should invite Greg this weekend. What's this weekend? The mountain is high. Oh, doing
1: these people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority.
0: I think these kids need help. What they need is a bath. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing
1: about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty.
0: When God walks in here, brings me a hippie. I'll ask him what it's all about, because I do not understand.
1: This house has a very good vibe
0: there is an entire generation searching just in all the wrong places if you want to reach my people you need to speak to them in a language they understand if i bring them in i'm gonna lose my job we can only walk through doors open to us in your church that's a door that's shut
1: noticed we have some guests here today
0: i'd like you to meet my new friends welcome they don't belong here half of them aren't even wearing shoes they're staining the new shag carpet
1: they need our help if you feel like misunderstood and judged you will find forgiveness and freedom right here that was awesome now that door is open any time of day and if there are some who don't like that
0: well then that door works both ways all right pastor let's begin I was almost done with this but then you did what nobody else would even dare this thing that we found I feel like I belong you're gonna need a bigger church country is a dark and divided place, but now there's hope, and it's spreading.
1: This is your home, and I want you to tell all your friends about it. Last Sunday afternoon, my family and I went to the AMC Theater, cheaper rate if you get the matinee, and uh, we sat there and we enjoyed the Jesus Revolution. Would you stand if you went and saw Jesus Revolution since it came out? Let me see how many stood. Yeah, that's great. So turn around to those who are seated and tell them they need to go. There you go. That's a, that's a great representation And uh, I know many of you are also headed that direction, but this film has actually far surpassed anything uh, that they imagined already with uh, the interest across the nation. And uh, we are, I think, uh, seeing evidenced in our culture a hunger for people, a hunger from people for something different and to know the Lord. And the times back then in uh, the early 70s, Uh, were tumultuous times, and uh, Vietnam War, the things that were going on. It was uh, in 1968, I believe, that the cover of Time magazine had the question, Is God Dead? But it was three short years later that the front of Time magazine cover was about the Jesus Revolution and what swept the nation and had an impact on many people's lives. In fact, uh, even this last week, I found out that one of the most instrumental people in my life was impacted because of that. And that's where their trajectory uh, took off to be able to be a radical Jesus follower. Not a weird Jesus follower, just a radical Jesus kingdom follower. And that they were gripped with it because our world is searching in so many different directions. We're also aware that. there has been uh, a need for us to sort of gather ourselves together to be able to focus on some of the things that maybe God would be speaking to us about. And uh, the invitation for the Plan A conference is not an invitation that I want you to easily dismiss. In fact, can, I won't have you stand, but how many of you have signed up for the Plan A conference already? All right, if you did not raise your hand, I want to walk around to you personally this morning and look you in the eye the best I can and say, don't miss out. If you hear the word evangelism and maybe go, oh, I don't want to do that. That's not me. This weekend of March 17th and 18th is about you being you in your comfortableness of your own skin and how God can use you. This whole Jesus Revolution film, when you watched it and what, what portrayed and, and flowed, it tapped into communities of people. It wasn't about the old stodgy pastor, Chuck Smith, standing in front of a small group of people, and that was true of that day uh, in his church and then just sort of ringing a bell outside hey, come in. It was because there was a tapping into relational networks where one person to the next, to the next, to the next. And so God's plan A really is you and I. We have relational networks. But what are we doing with those relational networks? And you probably feel very inadequate, not only ill-equipped, but embarrassed about even if what you have to offer in the faith is valuable for people today. Come, be a part of it. The card that's in your chair, you can follow that up, register, but take that card and invite someone else. I was actually with Forge Ministries in Denver some this week. I'm chairman of the board, by God's grace, the leader of it, Dwight Robertson, who you will be hearing from. Dwight and I go back 40 years. And the man has a passion for kingdom laborers as much today as the day that I met him. And it was actually Dwight who will be sharing here in two weekends That I did not know until this week that it was the Jesus revolution that touched his life as a middle schooler. As a middle schooler. And changed the trajectory of his life to be serious about the kingdom. I want to take just five minutes here. I don't know if it's possible or not. Um, Pastor Zach has a mic. Those of you who watch the Jesus revolution... What were some of your impressions and thoughts without, you know, ruining the movie for other people, you sort of know where it goes, right? But was there any response that you had in your spirit of God speaking to you this week related to what was a part of this movie? Just raise your hand and just give us a word of testimony or something else that God's been stirring maybe in your midst concerning spiritual renewal and revival in our nation. Anyone? Oh, I will. Well, you gotta wait for the mic, Kimmy. So, say say your name, and then share with us your impressions or what God spoke to you about in it. Good
0: morning, everybody. My name's Kimmy. Peace and love, man. I grew up in that generation. <laughs>
1: But the beauty of it, you know, it wasn't all the bad stuff you hear about all the time. You saw, again, and I saw and felt, the love that these young people had for Jesus. I mean, it was, it was unqualified. It was given without any reservation. And it just brought me back to a place where I hope we all get to in the future, where we have love unconditionally as our savior yeah i suppose some of these testimonies are going to date a few of us here around it but that's pretty cool oh you're only two all right there you go so that'll that'll work someone else just something or maybe it's something else you're just sensing with what god's doing spiritually across our nation over here
0: zach You know we look around in the society that we're living in and it seems very Mm -hmm. them and all all the changes and trying to remove God from everything and um, as a Christian it can be very disheartening but I was very um, pleased by in the movie it it talked about the same thing you know that during that time um, God was not talked about and you know People were doing their own thing and seeking their own pleasures, and um, you know, like like Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. And there mm. was a revival then; there can be a revival now. And um, all we need to do is, you know, start it here. Look to God. Look to Jesus. Put our faith in Him. Spread the word, and we can have a re- Jesus revolution now.
1: Mm. So true. Gives you hope and strength with that.
0: Hello, my name is Frank. I saw it with Kim. (laughs) And I'm older. I was older than two when it happened, by the way. Um, What struck me is that I, I took away that there was a series of individual decisions and encounters, starting with Chuck, where... There wasn't judgment. There, there was love, mm. and it—you got to see the the exponential power that's there when you love on somebody, and then they love on somebody else, and they love on people, and you end up having hundreds and thousands of people being baptized at one time. But it started w- as the, the the trailer hinted at, mm. with him loving on somebody, letting him let letting him into his mm. home, and it's it just. You think, oh, it's, it's a small thing. But enough small things add up to a really, really, really big thing. And that, that was my takeaway. Hmm. That, in fact, that it was so awesome good. that my daughter saw it with our small group.
1: <laughs> good. One or two more if they're there. I just want to catch a little bit of the flavor of your heart in being able to watch uh, a historic kind of movement that happened, but then reflecting back on our personal lives our ministry world today, not just here as the Awakening Church, but also in churches across the nation. Well, good. I encourage you to go. I want you to uh, isolate some time to be able to do that. But uh, as I mentioned, equally so, I want you to be able to isolate some time to be able to come, even if it's on the Friday night of March 17th, because I believe God wants us to meet together. You know, one of the not ironic things, but one of the god sighting things, is that uh, there was a revival movement that began the first part of February at a small Christian college in Kentucky by the name of Asbury. And we've highlighted that and gave reference to it. Do you know that the original Asbury revival, there was one back in 1970, that preceded what happened with the Jesus Movement. And people have always talked about at that campus and Christian circles and people who study revival about the Asbury Campus Revival of 1970. Well, not ironic, but only God led that there would be a revival at Asbury College this last month that preceded the opening of this movie. It was just a normal Wednesday chapel for that campus. Everybody left, but 12 to 15 students lingered behind and just sort of kept worshiping among themselves. And strangely enough, students started coming back into the chapel. And that which began on that chapel service, and I stood up here and gave acknowledgement of a couple weeks ago, went on consistently for three weeks student-led And it's now been uh, sort of taken, the baton has been taken to several other campuses. And they're having not continuous kinds of meetings, but they're having open prayer, praise, and teaching in the word about what God wants to do in their life. And not just Christian campuses, but state schools as well. I know Texas A&M is one of those, and there's others that I've heard of. When I was with Kingdom Building, with Forge Ministries, it used to be called Kingdom Building Ministries, in Denver this last week, I had the opportunity to hear from four different people who were a part of that Asbury uh, on-campus experience here just in the past few weeks. Some were board members, some were staff from the ministry, and I tell you what, they got lit and their hearts were on fire to have lives that were going to be lived on purpose And there's something contagious about being around individuals who are Christ-centered in focus. Not that we're seeking the emotion of it, but we're seeking the single-mindedness of what he's called us to. And I believe today, with some of the heels of what's happening, and national media's picked it up, they've had to pick it up because of what's going on here and there. And friends, it's not just here in the United States and a few pockets around. There are some huge revival movements that are springing up now globally in other countries that I have time to tell you about. I want you to know that God is on the move, and I don't want him to pass over us as a congregation. And I want our hearts to be prepared to be recipients of what he's doing. And whether it's coming to a conference that you're going to have to reorganize your schedule to be a part of on March 17th, or whether it's something that you're going to take somewhere else, I don't know, as you go, These days, I believe the Holy Spirit, who we sang about to be present in this place, wants to descend and come upon us in some fresh ways. And we cannot force the hand of God. You do not bring about a revival by setting up meetings or having a conference weekend, but you can place yourself in line for God's blessing. And that's what I'd like us to do in our personal lives and in our body at large and other churches in this valley, that we would ask the Lord to have his way and move amongst us with a spirit of revival. Revival is about bringing Christians back to where they need to be. But a revival leads to an awakening, and that's our name, the Awakening Church. An awakening has to do with outreach and new people coming to know Jesus. And that Jesus movement was a revival and an awakening brought together. Will you pray with me? Lord, here this morning as we worshipped and remembered your life that you laid down for us to set people free through the partaking of communion, we would ask in a very somber and diligent spirit that you would lead us wherever we're at in our spiritual walk. Maybe we're new this morning and The God stuff has just really not been a part of our life, but we're checking out where it could maybe play a part in our life. Or maybe we've been walking with him for years, with Jesus. God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to position ourselves in line for your blessing and renewal in our own hearts, for our equipping and then the mobilizing us as a church community and as with other churches in this valley, that we would experience a movement of God in our valley and across this nation. Lord, your word says that we have not because we ask not, or we ask amiss with wrong motives. This is not about us. It's about you. And so together, we as a people would just simply ask Jesus to send and move upon us May your will be done. Amen. So in this vein, it's Jesus that we lift high and Jesus that we call others to lead to. If you're a part of middle school, you're dismissed now to go um, to Sweet F, which is next door. You can just get up and Pastor Zach will meet you in the back for uh, those who are in middle school to be a part of that. Jesus is who this is about, right? And Jesus is the one that we've been focusing on as we have taken our trip to the shore of Sea of Galilee where he preached and where he stepped forward and he gave a sermon that we know today is the Sermon on the Mount. But it was a sermon to the disciples who were following him and to other would-be disciples. And he was talking to them about the good life. And the good life was him coming into a world that was desperately seeking and searching, as has every generation, and saying that the good life is among you. It's not yet to come but that you and I need to enter into the good life, and the good life is the life found day in and day out lived in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God being the kingship, the rulership of Jesus Christ, and us following his leading. And so as he's unpacking the beauty of this incredible new day, separate unto the religion and the rituals that they were all caught up in. And friends, we talked about it. They had a lot of them. And they had the spiritually elite, the religious people who checked all the boxes. And the people felt inadequate because they couldn't even come close to checking some of the boxes of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law And Jesus came and he said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you can't enter into this incredible life, the kingdom of God. And they're like, "Whoa! then what good is it for me to even try? But what he was communicating to them is that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what they were constructing was a religious system of do's and don'ts actions. And Jesus said, that's not the way to the good life. That's not the way to the full life of the kingdom. The kingdom has to do with actions, but it has to do with the source of the actions. And the source of the actions is who? Jesus. Because Jesus' kingship, when we choose to surrender our life and say, Jesus, come in, take control of my life, lead me on. From here, the same Jesus that that we commemorated his death and his resurrection through the sharing of the elements this morning, when that Jesus becomes prominent and you become passionate about knowing Jesus and serving the purposes of Jesus, when that movement happens in your heart, things start to spring from it that are much um, more reticent for you to be obedient to. But it's not the focus on those things. It's the focus on Jesus. They called the movie Jesus' Revolution. It wasn't a political revolution, and it really bothers me when I see some of the interpretation in media concerning what's happening with some of the spiritual renewal movements. They want to put it in some type of posture of right and left, you know, blue and red or something like that. It's like, No! See, that's where the focus is today. Maybe we don't have Pharisees and scribes, but we have politicians and governments and systems, and we think that those systems are going to bring us freedom and hope in our world, and it's not true. Jesus was put into a system of governance by Roman rule and a system of governance by the religious heat and elite of the Hebrew faith at that time who had turned the faith of the Old Testament into a bunch of rituals. Now, he spoke against that. In fact, the hypocrites he talked about were against that system. But he didn't talk about the political system of the Romans much at all. Some passing references. Because our hope is not found in the institutions of the today or what's around us. Those institutions need to be changed. They need to be more God-led. That is true. And we should participate in those institutions, whether it's in governance, whether it's in education, whether you, you name it. We're called to be there. We're God's plan A. But our focus is on the kingdom of Jesus coming at hand. And that's why last week he said, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So where are we at in our individual life with our focus, with our anxiety? Where does it turn does it turn towards, oh, we got to do better voting or get better candidates or we just need to get out of this recession. We need different policies to get you know, inflation down. Where's our focus? Those things will come and go. But do we as followers of Jesus have a passion to get the kingdom of God in front of people? And that's what Jesus did on that hillside. He said, You, no matter where you're at, spiritual loser, a person far from the faith, disinterested in God, you can have entrance into the kingdom of Jesus. And so he begins to unpack this beautiful good life that they can have. But then he comes to chapter six, and in chapter six, he points out in the first part two things that are going to block or hinder your ability and mine to live the good life. The good life of being in constant interaction with God and his kingdom. What are those two things? What are those two things? What are the two things that block or hinder the good life? The good life lived in constant interaction with God and his kingdom. The realm in which the air there breathed during the week. What are two main things? He took them on and he addressed them pretty pungently. Jesus was a bit of a hard preacher, but not because he was wanting to condemn people. He was wanting to warn people. It's like if you were an individual driving on a road and all of a sudden some type of you know, huge sinkhole happened or where some bridge was broken and people were catapulting down into it. You'd park your car and say, oh man, I'm glad I didn't fall into that. But then you would do what? You would stop and you would get out and you'd try to say, stop, slow down. Don't go there. Don't go there. So his warning message to us isn't a crushing of our life and our joy for the good life. It's a protecting of the good life. And so the two things that he highlights, one we looked at last week, and it's this our desire for approval from others, reputation, in particular reputation as it relates to our devotion to God. And so he told them not to gloat about the offerings that they were giving and the alms to help out the poor and not to do it in a boastful kind of way. He was telling them that in their prayer life, and there's uh, nothing wrong with public prayer time, and we have a public prayer meeting right before service every week if you want to come at 9.30, right out there at the end of that hall when we pray for the service. Come be a part of public. But he was saying, don't do your prayer in public to say, oh, look at me, how great I'm going to pray. And you're fasting. Don't look all downtrodden. Oh, man, I'm fasting. I'm going without food to be able to seek God. Clean yourself up. Because what he was getting at is your focus in those things, in giving prayer and fasting we looked at last week, is, is so consumed, not with Jesus and his kingdom, it's consumed with how you're looking, how good you're looking, and how much do we spend during the week focused on our reputation. And so he says, stop, just stop. Stop. Stop worrying about your reputation. There's nothing wrong in being mindful of, of being appropriate and situations like, but don't be seeking out your sense of self-worth by getting accolades or seeking accolades, especially when you are in the kingdom and you're pursuing life with Jesus, the good life. Be careful. Be careful. Happens to me on a weekly basis where I have to go before the Lord and say, okay, forgive me, Lord. For wanting to draw attentions to bigger, better, me, whatever it may be. Happened again this week as God worked in my heart. Happened this morning as God worked in my heart and is working in my heart. Stop. Stop. Stay clear. Don't. Don't desire approval from others. And focus on the reputation thing. And then he turns to the second one that we're looking at here today. And that is, well, this is a great quote from that first one. Let me just highlight that from Dallas Willard in Divine Conspiracy who lays out a lot of this. He says this, whatever our position in life, if our lives and works are to be of the kingdom of God, we must not have human approval as a primary or even a major aim. That is hard. But so also is it hard in our culture and our world to deal with the second warning of stop, this will keep you from living the good life in the kingdom of God, is a desire to secure ourselves by means of material wealth, a desire to secure ourselves by means of material wealth. I read a statistic this last week that said 90% of pastors are worried about money. <laughs> I don't know if that's in their personal life or their church life or whatever. And I said, well, I don't know fully where I stand out on that. But, you know, I don't think it's 90% of pastors. I think it's 90% of everybody. Everybody is worried About finances and money. You know, the uh, studies have been done concerning uh, how much money is enough. Do you know what the surveys and the studies have shown? How much money is enough for us in life? Do you know what it is? Twice as much as what you currently have. It doesn't matter if you got a little amount. Of financial resources and security life or you're in in the millionaire kind of realm you're like there's something inside of us that 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 fears and it's not necessarily having the greed issue there's something inside of us about our security and our safety and it's like i I need financial resources and if i just had maybe twice as much i would be happy and fine there Jesus knew this because it wasn't just true with us and our materialistic culture of America in 2023. It was true in his day as well. But the people he was speaking to in his day, they were not nearly as well off that all of us in this room are. In fact, if you had two garments of clothing, you were sort of considered rich. There was not a lot Um, to be attractive to these people that were seated on the hillside listening to Jesus preach, there is uh, this comment from the ancient world. It says this, The tenement cubicles, which were their homes, were smoky, dark, often damp, and always dirty. The smell of sweat, urine, feces, and decay permeated Everything outside on the street, it was a little bit better mud, open sewers, manure, and crowds. In fact, human corpses, adult as well as infant, were sometimes just pushed into the street and abandoned. We don't want to think about that, right? So those who were gathered on that hillside, whether it's 100, 200, or 1,000, I don't know. He was speaking into their lives and then he exhorts them this way. And there's part of you that goes, How dare he do this? But he knew where the good life was. And it wasn't down the path of haughty reputation building, and it wasn't down the path of being focused on material consumption and acquisition. And so Jesus says in Matthew 6 19, some of you are very familiar with these words because they're used a lot, but sometimes we're not heeded a lot. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Now, these are very descriptive. A moth was perceived as a very dangerous thing because it could ruin garments and and other things could be ruined by it. Rust isn't just about a metal kind of thing, but really refers to the deterioration to other kinds of belongings. And he says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal because they can come and get it. You know, when you think about it, and I won't park here long, but the idea that we have, uh, well, Isn't it interesting that we are told, and maybe you have one in your house, to put precious things of value or importance into your safe? But are they really safe in the safe? Well, I suppose they are in one sense, but why do we call it a safe? Because there's a desire to protect our treasures. And so we want to put things away so that they're secure there. And it's it's you think of treasure as as money and valuables, but treasure is really anything that is uh, endearment, endearing to you that you find precious. Uh, how many of you have children when they were young had a favorite stuffed animal? I remember with our kids, it was whether it was a little teeny tiny teddy bear or a monkey or whatever, they wanted that stuffed animal with them all the time. And the animal, the the stuffing would start to fall out and it'd wear out. But that was their sense of security. That was their treasure. And if you tried to say, I think it's time to go and get a new stuffed animal, it didn't work because they wanted that one, right? And so this sense of what treasure is, think in terms of what treasure is to you and your desire and my desire to keep our treasures protected, all right? and the time we consume ourselves with for that treasure. But all of us know that treasures can dissipate and disappear. How many of you find it hard to look at your 401k or your retirement fund that's based on stock markets during days like today? It's like, oh, man, I lost so much money. Well, I don't know if it wasn't there. Yeah, it was there. Now it's gone. A recession steals security, Right? There's other ways that things can be stolen from us. And it affects us emotionally, psychologically, even physically at times. When our treasure is taken away. And so Jesus just tells them, hey, wherever you're at, don't store, don't focus so much on storing up treasure for yourself on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break and and steal. But he says what? But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and still. It's a shifting of your focus. Just like this whole thing of my reputation and what people think of me, even as a, a spiritual person, don't go there. Stop. So also for the good life, stop. Don't be seeking all this treasure building for this life But think in terms of heaven. And heaven here just isn't this idea of, oh, when you die. It's the kingdom of God in the spiritual realm. So store up for yourselves treasure. Nothing wrong with having treasure, but where is your treasure? What is your treasure? What are you passionate about? The next car? Getting the next iPhone? Having that house, it's a little bit better than one. Where's where's your consumption of energy and focus? Shift it. Because the things of this world are fleeting. The things of this world are fleeting. And then he says this crystal clear statement to them on the hillside that day. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you know that Treasure placement has a chain tied to it. Treasure placement has a chain tied to it. Do you know what the chain is tied to? It's tied to your heart. I'm going to wake up Donnie down here. You come up here for a second. He wasn't sleeping, it was in case. So this is Donnie. Thank you, Donnie, for coming up in a a morning you didn't think like, oh, I'm (laughs) going to be on camera and everything. So Donnie's going to be the treasure. And Kayla would say, yes, Donnie's a treasure. You better say that or you're in trouble right now. And so there is a connection between the treasure and I'm going to be the heart or your heart and my heart. And the heart is the central essence of our being. All right, it's our spirit, it's our soul. If we hold real tight here, and I tell Donnie to walk that direction, go. What's going to happen to me? My heart is going to go where my treasure is, right? If he starts to go that direction. What's going to happen to me? Hi, how's it going? Ho oh, oh! ho! Oh my goodness. Why? Because where our treasure is, there our heart's going to end up being also. Give Donnie a great hand. You did really good on that. I'm not going to ask you, but I want you to think about it. Some of you involved in stock markets, those kinds of things. What stocks are you invested in? If you're invested in those stocks, do you watch the up and downs of the market according to that stock? You betcha you do. Because, oh, maybe not on a daily basis, but w- w- where's that treasure? I have some treasure put in there, and my heart's going to be consumed with it. If you've invested in another person's life for their well-being, are you just going to, hey, here, have at it? Or is your heart going to be endeared towards them and continuing to see them succeed in life. Maybe it's one of your children. Maybe it's a friend. If you invest in God's kingdom with a missionary on a mission field somewhere, do you just sort of forget about it, or do your ears perk up? Some of you know that our youngest child, uh, Grace, uh, uh, we adopted from China, and it was amazing to me what happened when we adopted grace with me emotionally I, I now have interest in china as an asian girl and what she came from and what god's doing in her life i'm endeared to that and so even with all the the stuff and the problems and the concern about china i think in terms of the masses of chinese christians and the movement of god in that land and i have interest when i see an article or what's god doing in china But part of that is because part of my heart's there because there was an investment, there was an embrace made of it. And so when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also, he was just saying a matter of fact truth. Look at it in your own life. Where's your treasure? Is your heart there? Is your treasure in the kingdom of God? Or is your treasure in the kingdoms of this earth or in building your own kingdom? It's a hard word, but it's not keeping you from the good life. It's protecting you to be found in the good life of the kingdom among us. I like how the Passion Translation sort of flips this verse, and it says it this way, for your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. Your heart will always pursue it. And so there's a little bit of a gut check on this this morning. How are we doing in this area? Now, what Jesus does in this warning concerning our desire to be secure in our material wealth, um, he, he's, he's very mindful that uh, treasure, money, if you will, is not necessarily uh, piled up with a bunch of evil around it. It, it. Scripture doesn't teach that. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Means are very important, and there's nothing wrong with that, and many times God is blessing us with means, but there can be an idol of materialism and where our treasure is. And so he he has this two treasure thing, and now he's going to talk about two eyes, and a little bit he's going to talk about two masters. But it's all tied together, and even with the verses following that we'll take up next week, he's just trying to get their perspective and an understanding of how all this interchanges and flows together. And so when he does this, we need to give heed to it. He was very good at giving quick illustrative thoughts, and so he ties this idea of two treasures Into something else that was articulated that was closely tied to treasure, and it had to do uh, with eyesight. But the treasure aspects is that we need to uh, direct, as Dallas Willard says, we need to direct our actions towards making a difference in the realm of spiritual substance, sustained and governed by God. Invest your life in what God is doing, which cannot be lost. And so he takes the treasure concept, he continues to support this uh, admonition to direct our attention towards the things in the spiritual substance realm of God by talking about eyesight. And he says this then in Matthew 6.22. He says, "The the eye is the lamp unto the body. The whole body. The eye is the lamp unto the whole body. If your eyes are good, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Pause right there. How many of you are in your mid forties? A few people here. So, just a warning: in your mid forties, you start to lose your quality eyesight you've been gifted with. <laughs> I went and did another eye exam this last week because I'm like, man, why do things still seem out of focus? I kind of well, you're mid forties. I'm not in my mid forties. I'm in the sixty-one mark, and I'm just like, it's still continuing to fade. And it bothers you when your eyes are not able to focus and be good. And he's saying, be mindful because the eye, which is tied to the treasure, is a light for the whole body to see. And if your eyes go bad, it's hard for you to get yourself around in the physical domain of the world. And he says, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So how's the eyesight? He talked about the two treasures. He's now giving reference to the eyesight. Do you know what the, you've heard the phrase an evil eye? You're probably thinking it's when your mom looked at you like that and go, I can't believe you're doing that kind of deal. But the evil eye actually was tied to the subject of material things and the, uh, the, the, uh, the covetousness or envy and envy that a person has. It's not only that you want other things that are nicer and and sustain you, but you're bothered by other people who have them and you don't want them to have it. And and there's a movement towards evil within the whole body if the eye is dark concerning what really needs to be a prominence in the kingdom of God. And he's saying, be careful. And and you think in terms of of our ability uh, to be uh, caught up in greed. Greed starts a lot of times with what? Eyesight. Oh, I want that. That's pretty nice. I can't believe they get to live in that neighborhood. I'd like to live in that neighborhood. That's a pretty nice car. And if you follow what happens with this, your eyes leading you into darkness because of uh, the movement, right, pulling you towards things of this world. And so greed and covetousness and envy. And Jesus knew this and he said, stop, Stop. Don't go there. Don't seek material things for your security and your safety in life. And then he moves on from the two treasures to the two eyes to the two masters. And he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Or the original has to do with the word mammon, which is a much broader sense of that. Masters isn't referring to you can't have two jobs to make ends meet. It's not about employers. Embedded in the master term is the concept of being a slave. And whether we reckon with it or not, what we set up as our treasure, we become a slave to how many of you have made an investment or you have some installment plan where you say to myself, yourself, why did I ever buy that? Right? And you can become a slave to the financial aspects of your life. Jesus just simply saying, stop, you can't do it. Oh, you may be able to do it for a while, but somewhere down the road, you'll realize you can't be serving two masters. Are you going to be consumed with the things of the kingdom of God and the heavenly realms, or are you going to be consumed with material provisions, because you will become a slave to one or the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, where do we land? As verse 20 said, do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where but to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. I want you to know that um, this idea of storing up treasure, investments in heaven, isn't just about the future, in the next life. Oh, it's it's part of that, as it says in First Peter one four in the Passion translation. We are reborn into a perfect. Inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, and never diminish. It is promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you. Through our faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. So the idea of treasure in heaven has that connotation of future in the next life. I remember one person who was tremendously wealthy and provided a huge provision. I believe it was for a university of some facilities and, and uh, some other kinds of kingdom investments. And then he lost all of his money. And a friend came to him and said, aren't you sad you gave away all that money now that you're broke? And he just smiled and he said, no, because those are the only investments that have lasted forever and will last forever. He had the perspective of where his money was being placed for kingdom value and, and, and is perceived as to the rewards that would be in heaven if we steward well what God has given to us in this life. But it's not just there. Hebrews twelve twenty two says this. By contrast, we have already come near to God in a totally different realm, the Zion realm or the kingdom realm. For we have entered into the city already of the living God, which is the new Jerusalem in heaven. We have joined the festal gathering of the myriads of angels in their joyous celebration. And as members of the church of the firstborn, all our names have been legally registered as citizens of heaven. What the writer to the Hebrews is saying there, it's not just about investments in eternity, It's investments for now because you're living in the kingdom of God now. Change your focus. Enter into what God is doing. And be involved with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And place your treasure in the kingdom of God at hand as well as the kingdom of God to come in its fullness. Press your your treasure into those dimensions that are going to extend that kingdom. Do not find yourself caught up in the trappings of materialism in this life. And, you know, I, I want you to hear me with this. This is not a material things are bad kind of message. In fact, material things provide different things. Security, personal worth, esteem, value, power, independence, pleasure. These kinds of things are all in that mix, but they can all go corrupt. And Jesus is simply saying, be careful, because materialism is a tyrant. And it's a tyrant that will pull you in directions that are not good. So where is your heart treasure today? For as he says in Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how does a pastor close such a message? Well, I guess we're going to have an offering. We are going to have an offering, but that's not because, oh my gosh, we're really needy with finances or those kinds of things. We steward well here at this church with the provisions that God gives. But I am concerned about where our hearts are. And God brought something to me last night. And when he brought it up, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And he said, yeah, you are. Not only for your people, you're going to do it for your own soul. I'm going to do something that's going to make some of you a little bit queasy. Trust me, it's not for that purposes. In fact, I have this verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, which is critical. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. But in the scriptures, there's an exhortation to give what's called a tithe. Tithe is equal to 10, means 10. And we see the historical biblical standard of tithing as 10% of our income. Some people ask sometimes, is that before or after taxes, Pastor? Like, I don't know. It says the first fruits. So it probably means before. Otherwise, you're tithing to the government, maybe. Right? And there's a lot of legalism and do's and don'ts that can be caught up in the whole structure of giving but jesus never debunked the tithe in fact he mentions it a couple times one time in particular because people were gloating over it because they were trying to show their good reputation by doing it so you don't fall into that trap that's why the apostle paul says what he says here in second Corinth nine seven you should decide in your heart to give not reluctantly under compulsion but for god loves a cheerful giver so people give whether to a church or to the poor or uh, to other kinds of ministry initiatives or to helping someone out. You give out of the kindness and the leading of your own heart. But a lot of times we get a little queasy when we talk about the subject of giving and what level we should be giving and our resources. And so I'm going to have you do something you hear us stand up here sometimes and do, and this is not going to commit you to anything. I just want you to know that. I want you to get your phones. You got them? Oh, no. I want you to take your phone, go to your message app, and I want you to type the word awakening, and I'm doing it right here with you, and I want you to send that word awakening to 77977. Hit send. Send. It's a safe and secure place it's taking you. You should get back. Did you get back a message? It wasn't the message from the pastor going, hey, thanks for texting this word. No. It says, thanks for your generosity. Click the link to give and click that link. Now, what you have is an app that's pulled up like this. Some of you have it. Some of you are defiant. I am not doing this stupid thing the pastor is calling us to do. It's an illustration, trust me. You're not committing yourself to anything here. Now, it says on our app that we encourage people to give electronically, and it's one of the blessings we have in this day and age. It says, give a one-time gift or set up a recurring gift. Every week, every two weeks, every month, first and the 15th of the month, many of you are invested and in you actually give electronically versus we also receive offerings on a Sunday morning but when the Lord said last night, he said, pull up that app. I'm like, no. Yeah, pull it up. Because, And this is my illustration. If you were to truly tithe, take what you make in your salary, multiply it by 10%, and the biblical historical standard of giving to God and his work And whether it's at this church or other ministry, poor, I don't care. It's this aspect of saying, if you were to tithe, what's that dollar amount? And then how do you break it up with an every week giving, two weeks, every month, first and 15th. And put that number in the blank and hit reoccurring. Now you're all a little worried. This is my illustration. Why is that hard for us to do? Why is that hard for us to do? Could it be? Could it be that our treasure is not where it needs to be? And last night, the Lord said to me, Carrie, I'm grateful for your faithful giving. But as you look at this app and you got things coming up and bills you'd like to get paid off and opportunities you'd like to seize for the family, what keeps you from putting putting in a number maybe above and beyond the tithe to give to God? My heart is just that you don't go over the cliff or down in the sinkhole. I want you to have a good life. And scripture is true. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's an action. But the quality of your spiritual life is not determined by that action. It's the focus on the source of the action. So only give to Jesus out of the generosity and love of your heart because your kingdom invested. And whether it be general ministries, whether it be a benevolent gift, whether it be to global missions and our alliance missionaries that we support around the world. Or maybe it's just being generous with your neighbor who's in need. Be a giving person and do not, do not try to serve two masters. Do not let the good eye go bad. So with that, I'm going to ask the ushers to take their place, not because the pastors asked you to give, but because Jesus has called us to be obedient, to seek in first the kingdom of God. So as the worship team comes back up, we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to again be in this place and to fill us with a heart of gratitude as we seek to live on purpose for his kingdom and not the things of this earth. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we receive your tithes and offerings and communication cards concerning spiritual decisions, I pray, Jesus, that you would truly speak, give words of affirmation to the faithfulness of your people as they've stewarded well and seek to live without means sometimes to be able to be generous in your kingdom. But Lord, also, we just pray in these moments that you would help us to heed your warning of the Sermon on the Mount that day, that we would not tra- fall into the trap of the tyrant of materialism. Lord, we know that giving, and giving generously, giving of our first fruits, tithe than otherwise, helps keep the tyrant from taking us down because it shows our dependency upon you for all things that all things that you give to us are given back to you as an act of worship because you've owned them from the beginning. So Lord, as we wrestle with it, especially in the culture in which we live, may we truly seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and may we live out life in that kingdom by focusing on you, the source of life. and May we listen to your voice giving us instruction whether in serving others, your purposes, becoming equipped for being able to share the faith, whether giving out the generosity of our hearts. Lord, may we listen to your voice because we're consumed with you, Jesus. I pray for the breaking of strongholds in this room from the adversary who would like to keep us bound, thinking that our safety and our security is found in means. Satan, you and your workers have no rights whatsoever to keep bondage in this area. And Lord, we pray for an outpouring of your blessing. Your scriptures teach that those who honor you with their giving, that you'll open the floodgates of heaven and pour out upon people a blessing that they cannot contain. Lord, may you bless your people. And may we live lives in obedience to you. Lord, we thank you that you visit us here today. May you go with us and abide with us as we worship you. In your name we pray, amen. Ushers come, let's sing together.